Yeah. Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning. And my guest today is Jean Doe Massoero, who is an Alexander Technique teacher in Montpelier, France. That's in the southern part of the country. And this is the second uh, interview we're doing on the subject uh, the Delsart Del and the Delsart method and Alexander and the Alexander Technique. In our first uh, interview, we covered the historical connections between Alexander and Delsart. And in this, in this talk, we're, uh, Jean Doe is going to talk mainly about the implications of that for uh, how the, what the Alexander is seen like today, how it's changed over time. Uh, Jean Doe, welcome to the show. And could we begin um, by uh, I'll just I'll just begin by saying that that you have uncovered uh, some really quite astonishing connections between Alexander and and Delsart. And um, we were just starting in the previous interview to talk about some of the implications of that for what we think of as the Alexander technique today. Um, Maybe you could just very briefly summarize what you said towards the end of the last interview about a distinction that you draw between the early work of Alexander and his teaching, say between 18, uh, 1896 and around 1915, I believe, and what happened afterwards. Yeah. And then anything else that you'd like to talk what? about, about the what Alexander included, what he didn't include, what he added to Delsart, that sort of thing. Yeah. There is a, a change in the way Alexander promotes his technique. When he starts in 1896, everybody will see in article and lecture on the... Uh, paper, his work paper, that is a teacher of the Delsart system. And in the middle of the paper, there is a motto, there is a, a phrase. And uh, this phrase is, uh, well, a part of a poem that is known in the Shakespeare world. And it's called, um, the, in the middle of the, the paper, what is written is, mind a kingdom is, that your mind is a kingdom. Uh. And this is really uh, a Delsart idea. A Delsart took that idea and developed that idea, meaning that uh, for Delsart, the body is just uh, an instrument of the mind. And uh, if there is uh, a vicious action, for example, that you can notice when somebody is standing or sitting or, or, or moving, for Delsart, this is an expression of a mental phenomena. It is mm -hmm. not something in the body. Yeah? Mm -hmm. It's something that is, uh, there is a preconceived idea, there is uh, a trouble in the direction of the wheel, 
Because in fact, well, I, I must say something first of all, is that Del Sartre's own writing are not easy to read. For a simple reason, is that, well, first of all, they've been written uh, before a, a long time ago. And uh, second, Del Sartre was uh, a mystic. He, he, he cannot write without involving religion one way or another. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's very interesting, but sometimes it's really painful. You know, we would like to, to get to the meat of the practice, and nobody can nowadays because nobody understands Del Sartre. I think that nobody understands Delsart as Alexander understood him mm-hmm. when he started. So, um, for example, um, Delsart doesn't talk about the mind directly. He talks about the soul. And for Delsart, his description of soul is f- for us would be, in fact, like the, uh, the relationship between mind and will. Mm-hmm. And for Delsart, their will is uh, an intricate uh, system where you can decide, you can will, you have got a, a verbal will. I decide to say some words and not others. I choose to speak in English and not in French, for example. That's my will in action. But I've also, for Delsart, what we call a practical will. I decide to uh, tense or not. But when I move, for example, from standing to sitting, one of uh, Del Sartre's very famous uh, postural uh, practice, in fact, there are some rigidity, for example, of laxness that happens without my will being really active. It's, it's like beyond myself. Well, uh, Del Sartre has a very simple way to look at this. He says, well... Your, your will needs training. Your conception of the movement has to be changed and your will has to be trained. So in the Del Sartre idea, uh, what he, he was always talking about the reciprocal action of mind and body. Yeah, It's uh-huh. uh, something that, that talks to us, Alexander teaches. But for him, there is nothing wrong in the body itself. There is nothing to be changed in the body. The body is the expression of your use of the mind and your use of the will. Mm -hmm. So uh, when we talk about the use of the self, the first um, Alexander technique, what I call the initial Alexander technique, it was the, in fact, the use of the mind. It was not the use of the body itself. It was not the use of the muscles. Del Sartre is a very, he, he has, has great knowledge of biomechanics, a knowledge of uh, psychology that is quite outstanding. And he was quite, uh, he understood the fact that it's impossible to direct the muscles. The muscular system is so complex that it's absolutely impossible to direct into the muscles. For Del Sartre, this uh, was to be left for the practical will to adjust uh, itself. It should be directed consciously, but the actual programming of the muscle is absolutely subconscious and will ever be. 
And that is quite close to modern biomechanics, modern thinking of uh, the, the way our brain interacts with uh, the periphery. So the first um, uh, trend in Alexander technique, his first Alexander, uh, his initial technique up to 1915 was exactly like that. It was training the mind of the person, training the will of the person. That has changed because afterwards we see in his writing that there are sentences that are com com complete, that are perfect, and then suddenly he put a comma at the end and he adds uh, something about sensory appreciation being necessary. Uh, the, the right feeling should guide the, uh, the movement. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is clearly uh, 20th century thinking. This has nothing to do with the original uh, thinking of the Alexander Technique, and uh, it's very, very, it's remote, it's, it's, it's absolutely different from the Del Sartre writing. You understand? So? Right. And just, uh, just to break in here for a second, um, that, sh that shift that you're talking about kind of goes along with a greater emphasis on Alexander using his hands to guide people. Yes, absolutely. And I believe um, in, I believe it's in Frank Pierce Jones that he one day announces uh, to his students that I, I can get it for them myself now. Well, it's in Goddard Binkley's. Um, Is it in God? Yeah. 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 But I, absolutely. That's quite clear. Yeah. And, it, and that's 1931. It's a long time after uh, his, uh, his discovery. Uh -huh. Very, right. very long time after that. Right. So now, let's talk about um, the connection, what is, uh, what is fantastic, really, in between the two men. Um, so we've got on one side the rigid convention, you should do as you're told, and the other side, there is free expression, do what you like. Both doings for both men uh, in fact, suppose that you do according to what you feel. And they both discover that uh, what you feel leads you to wrongdoing all the time. What you feel is a very poor cognitive uh, representation of movement. And Del Sartre thought that uh, movement or guidance should be, in fact, directed by reasoning, by experimentation, by science. Mm -hmm. So it's a very strong position he got there. And uh, what he was after, he was after, uh, in fact, he, he looked for uh, something in French we call grace. But in English, I think it's better translated as poise. Mm -hmm. he, he, he was after, in fact, uh, improved functioning. I, I will tell a little story. He, when he started uh, his uh, studies, he was a very poor young man, but he had the chance to have a fantastic voice. He was a, 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 like we would call a natural singer. And because of that, he was uh, accepted in the, the highest uh, college of singing in France, the Royal College in Paris. And after two years of training, he lost his voice. He couldn't sing anymore. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, that started the whole process of uh, observation and discovery. He discovered, in fact, that uh, his teacher 
every one of them had their own idea about uh, the good use of the different parts of the system. And, uh, and each of them had no idea of the functioning of the whole system. So he started to, first of all, to join the Academy of Medicine. He started to study medicine and he, he started to um, uh, cut bodies to understand how the, the larynx and the vocal cords were organized and why, uh, why was it possible suddenly that his voice could be damaged by what he did, what he was doing with himself, how he trained himself. And um, he, he discovered um, what he called a barometer Barometer is a, is a tool to, in fact, assess the, the, the weather. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Right. Okay, it's the same word in English? Yep. Yeah. And he called it a barometer of uh, human use. Or and sort it was of a, ga- a gauge. A gauge, yeah. Yes. Of the human use as a whole. And it was called, and it was the, the, the larynx box. Because, in fact, the larynx box is not articulated to uh, the bony structure. So if there is any tension in any part of the body, the larynx is going to be pulled out of place. That's the Del Sart discovery. Mm-hmm. So we discovered that, in fact, singing or speaking are not uh, specific activities. They are uh, integral activity. That's his word. They are uh, of the body as a whole. And if you want... To change that, for example, imagine that he wanted to regain his voice. There was no way a specific action on the neck would change his problem. He understood it was a problem of gesture. So there is a definition of gesture. A gesture is a movement that you make. Well, it's not exactly the same with Delsa. For him, a gesture is a whole body um, attitude, a whole body organization, a whole body movement. And, uh, and that, in, that insight yeah. that you just described, that's, that could have been articu- could be articulated today by a great many Alexander teachers, right? Of course. They would say the same thing. They might use slightly different phrases. They might not emphasize the, the larynx quite as much. They might talk more in terms of the neck, but it's yeah. the same idea, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, it's the same idea. And Alexander used exactly the same idea in order to solve his own voice problem. You understand? Well, it's, and he uh, even talked about that he was depressing his larynx. He yeah. noticed. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So... Uh, that's the, the, one of the greatest discoveries, but it's, um, it, the discovery in itself is not... Uh, because once you know that uh, instead of trying to fix one problem after another, you have to change the self as a whole. Right. Well, you are against um, a very, very deep way of uh, solving problems that we all have. We all are, well, the, the, the English well, Alexander teacher would say we are engainers, but Del Sartre's uh, presentation is much clearer. He said that um, we tend to, in fact, cut big problems into small problems 
in order to make them good before we attack the big, the big scenery. And he just discovered that this was the worst uh, bad habit of mind that you can have if you want to solve uh, a movement problem in your right. body. And, and maybe just to make that even a little clearer, um, solving little problems as a way of solving a big problem might work for a piece of machinery like an automobile. Yeah. yeah. Um, spark plug needs replacing. You just pull out the old one, put a new one in, yes. and the car yes. is good to go. Yeah. But it is woefully uh, inadequate to deal with a complex organism like a human being. Exactly. Yeah. So Del Sartre would say you have to, in fact, go for the cause. And yes. the cause is uh, lame and unback minds. That's his, that's his, uh, his expression. What, what was that, what was that uh, phrase again? Lame and unbacked minds. Unbacked. Lame, lame is you, you can't walk properly. Unbacked means that you have a, uh, uh, a bad back. Humpbacked, you don't, you don't use that word. H-U-M-P-B-A-C-K-E-D. Unbacked. How do you pronounce that? Humpbacked? Humpbacked? Yes, unbacked minds. Oh, a humpbacked mind. Okay. Lame and unbacked minds. So... Not if you Body. have so what what he was saying is if you have what appears to you to be a physical problem yeah like losing your voice that you've got to deal with a flaw in your thinking exactly okay got it okay and a flaw in your will in your direction of the thinking and your direction of the will exactly okay so what's grand in, Del Sartre, in the Del Sartre system is that he didn't stop there. He, in fact, started a formidable work of uh, what we call notation. Because Del Sartre nowadays is well known around the world for, for example, uh, his influence in the, the modern dance. And uh, uh, all the people that are researching Del Sartre are very interested in, in these ideas. But also, is well known because um, we see more and more some uh, what we call virtual agents, which are, in fact, uh, uh, when you look at uh, a film where there are um, um, virtual humans, there was this, uh, this film uh, recently with green people, very tall green people. I can't remember the, the name of it. But they were, they were lifelike. They mm -hmm. were mm -hmm. ob obviously computer-created, mm -hmm. but they were lifelike. Well, it's quite interesting to know that uh, there are many research labs in the state that are, in fact, uh, using what we call an action coding system. And uh, an action coding system helps you to notate the movement uh, through a system of, of signs and system of uh, diagrams. Mm -hmm. And all this has come because it's been in, in, well, totally influenced by the work of François Delsart. He invented a way to code movements. Okay. And... and that's um, our trouble today are uh, mostly 
originated in the fact that Alexander forgot half of it. He took, he was fantastic because he, in fact, integrated the thinking of, uh, of, of Delsart into the modern world, but he forgot a very, very important thing because he was not a draftsman. He couldn't, uh, he couldn't make a, a picture. And uh, Delsart in, had uh, a way of drawing the different parts of the body mm-hmm. and the different relationships. And he would, he would show you a different, uh, for example, Delsart was, I think, the first to imagine that uh, the greatest movement that we have to master is the movement of the torso. Of course, Alexander, he will write about that. He will explain it with his own words that uh, it's the, well, I've got a sentence by Alexander that, that, is, that fits very well here. He say the, uh, the direct control of a finger, of the neck, or of the ling, of the legs should primarily be the result of the conscious guidance and control of the mechanism of the torso particularly the antagonistic muscular actions um, that are responsible for um, greater and correct correct coordinations intended to control the movement of the limbs, of the neck, of the respiratory mechanism, and uh, the general functioning of the internal organs. So, So So it almost sounds like he's saying... The torso is primary control. Yes, it is. Yeah. Right. Well, I found that straight away. That that's in man's supreme inheritance, and he's, uh, it's very clear. I asked Walter Carrington, uh-huh. and uh, I asked him, why is it that before uh, 1930, it's all about the mechanism of the torso, and then uh, antagonistic action of the mechanism of the torso, and then it disappears, and then you've got uh, primary control that uh, arrives in 1932 in the use of the self. Well, uh, I remember the face of Walter Carrington look at me with a smile, and he said, there, you have it. It's the same thing. Yes. But there is one thing is to speak about the, uh, the, well, the antagonistic action of the mechanism of the torso, but it's something else to describe it, to make it uh, appear in front of your eyes, to make you understand that there are parts in the mechanism of the torso, and these parts have to be directed properly. But we know, for example, that in the, the, the direction of the primary control, there should be back to lengthen and widen. Well, and Alexander, uh, in his second life, I say, well, the second life of his technique, says that these words are awfully inadequate mm-hmm. uh, unless somebody is able to, with his hands, uh, manipulate the person to uh, explain what it means. Yeah. So, uh, so you need, in that view, you need a third part, a second person to come and help you. Yeah. Which but I, he, I, I believe you said Del Sartre didn't really have that model, right? No. You were going to no. work on it on your own, maybe with the help of his drawings and his writings. Yeah, of right? course. Yeah. And so uh, Alexander makes a very, very big mistake here. 
and I think it's he, he knows he's doing it. I think it's uh, it's a ploy. It's to get uh, it's to get customers. It's to get clients. He right. knows what he's talking about. I'm sure it's, he's adding this just in order to satisfy the big part of the of his uh, uh, customer base that are thinking in that manner. He's well, not. A, a question occurs to yeah. me in this. When you say Del Sartre was good at drawing and pointing out sort of, in a way, details, right, yeah. of, of movement or specific observations of specific movements, is that, would that be fair to say? Absolutely. That sounds a little bit like dividing the body in pieces. And it seems to me that once you do that, and you have a bunch of movements that you're trying to coordinate, that's, gonna, that's not going to work because it's just too, too complicated. Well, I will answer that. Okay. I think to answer, to answer it, uh, there are two ways. I could, I could get the, the Alexander way or the Del Sart way. Let's start with the Del Sart way. Okay. Del Sart... Uh, was very clear about um, uh, the need of adjustments of the parts of right. the body. Yeah. And I think that that uh, also appears in Alexander uh, mm -hmm. uh, books. And uh, he was very, very aware of the complexity of the muscular system. But uh, he didn't think in that way. He didn't think that you needed to change the way your muscles uh, acted on your system directly. Mm -hmm. He was he was the father of the indirect way. Mm -hmm. So let let me explain how this is much more simple mm -hmm. than what you may think. Mm -hmm. For Mr. Del Sart, um, we we have a tendency to believe in what we feel and to disregard what we cannot feel. But science has made it clear that it's not what you feel, that uh, the appearance of things that counts. Mm -hmm. It's what's, in, what's behind it. Mm -hmm. So for Del Sartre, there are two principles. One is called the static and the other one the dynamic. And both of them are principles of mechanics. Mm -hmm. So Del Sartre considers that inside your body, there are bones. He doesn't call them bones. He calls them levers. Right. So, normally a lever is to is for a purpose. You understand that. Mm -hmm. And um, he considers that it's possible for you to understand the different levers of the torso. It's not that you are going to, in fact, think of all the bones of the torso. No, you are going to group bones that are acting uh, together to produce different movements. So, so he was so from, yeah. from an Alexander perspective, that sounds a little bit like body mapping. Well, um, I know just a little bit about body mapping, but it's uh, I can tell you something, it's much much more interesting than mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. because it's for Del Sartre, it's a tool of the mind and it's a tool of the will. Let me explain. For example, let's say that you have a well, two parts of the torso that are acting always together. So you will uh, uh, look at somebody, and when that person is, for example, 
relaxing, they're trying to have a, a rest. You will see, for example, that uh, one part of the, the, the base of the torso and the first part above, uh, one part is, for example, the sacrum, the second part is the ribs, are going in the same direction all the time. When the person starts to try and get straighter and get active, you will notice that both parts are still going in the same direction. And they are both going backwards that time. So you have got the back back, with the ribs are, are in fact pushing the back back, but you've got also the sacrum back, and the person is hunched in the other direction. There is a shortening of the spine in both cases. Mm-hmm. So Delsart would point that to the student, so the student will notice that effectively that's something that is a physical manifestation of the use of these two parts. Mm-hmm. And he will draw uh, a little um, diagram and show that it's pos- it, it could be possible to imagine that both parts are opposite to one another, what we call antagonistic action between two levers. Mm-hmm. What would that bring? Well, first of all, that would bring a big problem because, first of all, you would notice that... Uh, Uh, your body is not uh, doing what you want. That you want to organize both parts in different directions, but uh, when you look in the mirror, well, you're not doing what you think you're doing. That's why the mirror is here. The mirror is there to show you that you have to think differently to, in fact, fool your own sensory appreciation in order for both parts to be really antagonistic in directions. And so, after a while, you will discover something completely incredible, is that you have the power to create movement that are, in fact, different from what you can feel and direct. Mm -hmm. You have a a basic freedom... uh, so Delsart called that freedom from yourself. Freedom of the self from oneself. That's exact sentence of Delsart. And um, suddenly you discover that you have never e- exercised any control over your practical will. But that is possible. You just need a model and just by your mind action, thinking of the two parts that have been shown to you on a picture and seeing you in the mirror, you can suddenly bypass the faulty sensory appreciation problem is that you're going to act on the levers and you are going to create the antagonistic muscular action of the torso. And I think that's exactly how Alexander solved his voice problem in the first place. Mm-hmm. So you have to inhibit your uh, temptation of feeling the movement. But Delsar there, as it covered for you, he says you should project direction to your reflection. Which a sentence that is so simple that suddenly I said, well, how could I? Because I've tried to understand why would Alexander use the idea of projecting directions. 
you know even if he, in the use of the self he, he used projecting direction to the body mm-hmm. and to me that well i've i've been very i've been a student of biomechanics for many many years i've read bernstein time and time again and uh, this idea of projecting direction to muscle is absolutely unscientific and uh, i couldn't understand that alexander would go that way but if you know Delsart, the Delsart manuscript, suddenly projecting direction to your reflection means that, in fact, instead of trying to feel your way into your body to achieve a movement, you forget about yourself, you get a distance from yourself, you look at the mirror, and you decide that the two parts are going to... Have you ever uh, had this experience of looking at your hand uh, in a mirror? For very often, when you do that, the the the, the sense uh, direction are reversed. That if you want to go left, you have to order yourself to direct right. Otherwise, in the mirror, the hand is going the other way. Right. Mm-hmm. It's exactly this idea. Well, and it's also the idea that um, a student, an Alexander student, for example, can gain a lot by observing himself or herself in in a mirror and even in my experience even more by observing a real-time video of themselves from a camera placed on one side and and looking at a monitor placed in front of them exactly that in fact um sometimes my own experience is particularly when I'm working with young, with teenagers and young people, just doing that with hardly any verbal guidance can make quite a change. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, so, uh, that's, all that's the idea. The, that's all Del Sart then, huh? Yes. But that's still basic. Yeah. Because I will, I will point to uh, something that Del Sart had that is very, very important. Mm-hmm. Is that when you observe, you know, we... we of course, in the Alexander technique, we were taught to to observe that ob- uh, Alexander observed himself in the right. mirror all the time. If when he forgets to observe in the mirror, he he tells he's a, he's a fool because he has every opportunities to discover that what he felt was wrong and everything. Yeah, that is clear. But what I discovered in the Del Sart system, his coding system, is uh, is adding something fundamental. Is that before looking at yourself in the mirror, you have uh, a drawing, a map, you have a plan, you have a, a, de- a conception in the sense of a, a description of the relationship between the parts, relationship between the head and the, and the torso, relationship between the different parts of the torso mm-hmm. and the other, well, and the limbs. Mm-hmm. That's the... Uh, Del Sart was speaking of the perfect chord. He was a musician. So a perfect chord, what is it for Del Sart? It's the relationship between the parts and the torso and the head. Mm-hmm. You, he, he wanted his student to, in fact, completely change their way of directing their reflection between the parts of the torso and the head. Mm-hmm. And uh, the idea was uh, to widen, to lengthen the back, and to organize the head in such a way that uh, the larynx should not be depressed. So, 
when you look at a, a very, very complex mechanism with your own eyes or your own, uh, um, well, reason, well, most of the time it's uh, bewildering. It's, uh, it's, it's very, very complex. But if you've got a leading idea, if you've got uh, um, a, a presentation of what you should look for, then suddenly the experience can be 10 times more powerful. Mm -hmm. uh, that would enable you to give less attention to certain details and look more at the big picture then, right? Exactly. Yeah. And uh, talking about detail, uh, the, the, the one detail that has to be uh, forgotten is how does it feel? Mm -hmm. You understand that because uh, for uh, Delsart, uh, the feeling that is in fact the result of the antagonistic action is of no interest whatsoever. He is very clear about the difference that people forget about the word, the, the different uh, signification of experience. There are people nowadays that think that uh, experience is what you feel. If you feel the correct adjustment between the parts, there you've got it. You can direct them. For Delsart, this is absolutely uh, uh, reversed. It's, it's absolutely false. Experience is, in fact, uh, doing something. Is to, uh, it's a trial. Is you've got experience when you know how to react in a certain situation, not how you should feel in a certain situation. Right. And, and wouldn't, wouldn't you agree that that's pretty standard Alexander dogma as well? Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, which, I hope. I, which I take it that you, your argument would be that he got that from, from Del Sartre. Yes. Yes. Well, he got it from Del Sartre, but I, unfortunately, at one point, he started to, uh, to mix everything up. And there are, I think that nowadays in the Alexander Technique, the modern Alexander Technique world, there are, there, there, this confusion exists. Uh, I'm hearing here and there the people talking about uh, uh, embodied cognition, for example, or uh, about uh, uh, consciousness. When uh, consciousness, in fact, means being aware of what you feel or uh, checking all the time what you are feeling, that is absolutely uh, um, unlike Delsart right. and unlike the uh, early Alexander Technique. It's, it's, it's got to do with the fact that, to make myself very clear, uh, I know many people dislike me for that, but uh, uh, this idea of unzone as a, a short, uh, short way to get the uh, the understanding of the of uh, the Alexander technique. Well, it is true if it's the modern Alexander technique. But if we go back to the initial Alexander technique, which was conscious guidance, mm -hmm. being able to guide yourself with a, with a mental intellectual plan. Well, this is miles and miles away. Right. Yeah. I, you know, um, we're, we're getting uh, uh, kind of we're getting it's, the podcast is becoming a bit long. And I, and yes. I do think there's a, a whole nother thing that we could talk about related to what you we have been talking about, but I, and which is really how 
what about Alexander directions and how they changed over the years and what about the role of hands-on versus self-directing or how they relate to each other. But I do think they should go in another interview, which we could do later. Yeah. Uh, but I think it, this might be a good place to bring this part of the Alexander Del Sartre connection to a, to a close. Do you, you yes. okay with that? Oh, yes, absolutely. Okay. Yep. So let me just, uh, just quickly say that my, my guest for this podcast has been Jean, Jean Do Massero, an Alexander Technique teacher in Montpelier, France. And this is the second in what might may become a three-part series on <laughs> uh, the connections between Del Sartre and the Del Sartre method and Alexander and the Alexander Technique. Thank you so much for this, John Doe. Yeah, you're welcome.